Hello and welcome to episode 252 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now joining me on today's episode is the incredible producer, one of the best engineers in the business and truly one of the best guitarists of one of my favourite bands of all time, 100 Reasons. Yes, today I'm joined by the incredible Larry Hibbert. On today's episode, we get to talk all about the band's history, all about Larry returning on the brand new tour to promote their brand new album, what it's like to pick up the guitar again after so many years, blow the dust off and start playing these brand new songs, and just life in the studio. It's one of my favourite chats I've done this year. He's a great guy, an absolute idol, and I do mean this. 100 Reasons have been a band that I've been following for over 20 years. I remember being at De Montford Uni with my friends, going to the Charlotte pub, checking out this band and then following them ever since. They've got bigger, better and they've just been one of my most listened to bands ever. I adore them so to know that I'm joined by Larry today is a dream come true and that interview will be coming up in just a couple of moments time. But before we get there let's touch base and talk about my last episode. On episode 251 I was joined by the amazing film director John Patton Ford. We got to sit down and in great detail talk all about his brand new film Emily the Criminal. I just want to say now a massive thank you to everyone that tuned in and listened to that interview. It did so so well and I've seen so many people go and check the film out since listening to that episode and they've emailed me or tweeted me or even sent me a DM and let me know they love that film so that's great to hear. But today it's all about 100 Reasons. That band's debut album Ideas Above Our Station blew my mind, shaped the bands that I listen to today. I usually ask that question to bands that come on here. What's the band that shaped the bands you listen to now? And for me, truly, it's 100 Reasons. So I think the best thing to do is get to the interview with me and Larry. So here's me and Larry talking all things music. So, Larry, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Larry, what I like to do is go right back to the early days, and I'm not talking 20 years ago, I'm talking a lot longer. Tell me about when you were a kid, what were those first albums that you remember buying that made you fall in love with music? Oh, good Lord. Um, what would be an early record for me? Probably something like Master of Puppets by Metallica. Um, or 10 by Pearl Jam, uh, Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction, maybe, Faith No More, stuff like that. So All the yeah, classics like, there, I, fucking hell. All the classics. Well, yeah, but I was, you know, I was, uh, I was in secondary school and starting to get into music in like 1991, 1992, 1993. So yeah. it, all, the, all those bands were the current massive rock bands then. Um, I remember going into our price in Richmond, which is not far from where I lived, and hearing Alive by Pearl Jam. And they were playing it in the shop and just being absolutely blown away by it and immediately going and buying the CD single. Um, so, yeah, it was all those bands. And Nirvana, obviously. Um, Faith No More Live at Brixton. That 
album was massive for me in a way almost bigger than their actual albums. I used to love listening to that. I know Colin is a big fan as well. Um, I love that you said so, yeah, CD all... singles. Some people would be listening now saying, what's that? It's like, well, if you've got it on the Monday, it came out. It was one ninety nine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that dates it all, doesn't it? You actually had to, like, you couldn't just think of something and then go and listen to it in no. two seconds. You know what I mean? You had to, like, go somewhere with actual money and pay for something and own it. <laughs> I miss the days of the, um, I miss the days of the art of a, a really strong B side as well. You'd go and buy the CD single. Yeah. And then sometimes they'd do CD one and CD two, even though it's the same song, but they'd have a different B side or a live version. You'd think, yeah, I need to get both. Well, that was, that was a chart fiddle, wasn't it? Because you're yeah. allowed two different formats and it counted as two yourself. We used, definitely used to do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I had both versions of your silver single. I was like, oh, I see what they're doing here. Yeah, but we, we were quite good about it. We actually did legitimately write different B-sides for both versions. I, I'd imagine that, you know, in a slightly more cynical world, people are just putting out remixes or, you know, whatever yeah. nonsense on the B-side. But uh, yeah, we, which meant that for every song we put out, we had to write and record another four or five as b-sides which was sometimes fun and was sometimes a absolute pain in the ass as you might imagine <laughs> so talk about live music obviously it all changes my first gig was cooler shaker which isn't a very cool one to promote but i did go to wolverhampton about a week later and saw green day on their dookie tour and i remember genuinely being absolutely blown away and i couldn't believe that the band were making that much noise i was like okay so it does work the <laughs> tape i've got at home does sound as good when you go and see them but was yours a cool first gig or are you going to try and well, blag it? it, it I'm not going to blag it because I've got cool and not cool. So the first the first gig I went to, which which was not of my own volition, I went with my older sister, which I think was the band Hue and Cry. And it might have been at Hammersmith. They had a big single called Looking for Linda in the 90s and then disappeared into obscurity. But So that's not very cool. But the first gig I went to with my own money was a anti-Nazi league gig at Brixton Academy in 1993. And it was Rage Against the Machine supported by Billy Bragg and Censor. Wow. Um, at a time when Rage Against the Machine couldn't fill Brixton Academy. That's um, insane. <laughs> so that's the cool one. That was in 1993. And they opened with Wake Up. Fucking I remember that. Hell. I mean, um, I, saw and... them, I saw them at Reading Festival and I've seen them... A couple of their own venues, um, you know, probably, I can't even remember, they're smaller venues. They blew the roof off the moment they came on. Absolutely. Yeah. I think they start with Testify. And I, <laughs> fucking hell, what? To, I can't even imagine you as a kid standing there probably thinking, oh my Lord, like I'm going to die. Yeah, I just didn't know what was happening when they opened with that. And that, they, only, they only played the first record because that was the only record that was out at the time. Um, and they were amazing, but you can. There's footage of that gig on YouTube if you type in Bridget Machine 1993 Brixton Academy, and they're playing it like a Fagazi gig. It's like basically the house lights are on. It was like just the most budget thing, and they're just like standing there, like you know, some band. Well, obviously people had heard of them, but they, you know, they certainly weren't looking like rock stars. <laughs> so I so suppose that's cool. a hell of a good one. I mean, what do you follow that up with? I mean, that's that's pretty much one of the best gigs <laughs> you're ever going to go to. I know, right? Just done. <laughs> That's it. Give up all gigs from now on. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> then we used to go to stuff. We used to go to stuff at Brixton. Like there used to be a gig there called Fuck Reading every year at the same weekend as Reading Festival. But it used to be, uh, it used to be punk bands. So when we went, it was a mixture of 
sort of your classic UK punk bands like UK Subs and Anti Nowhere League. You, you know, you could probably write that bill. But then they'd also have a few like American hardcore bands, which is why we were there. Like Sick of It All would play in Madball. Oh wow! Refused, refused played one. Of, I think it was one year. Where it was Madball, Sick of It All, and Refused all played Fuck Reading. But this was refused before even the big record. This would have been on Fan the Flames. Wow. The, the, the album before. Uh, I remember them being re- like, I remember them being, I remember Refuse being the best band and getting into them from that gig. And then they later went on to put out that huge record, which blew everyone's minds. A Shape um, of Punk to Come is one of my textbook albums. To listen to the production on that and everything about it, it still sounds like it was recorded last week. It's insane, isn't it? It still sounds like music from the future. Which is it's what like, it sounded like when it came out. It awesome. blows my mind. I absolutely <laughs> love, and they're so good live as well. When they came back a few years ago, I got to see them again, and it wasn't yeah. a cash grab. It was they wanted to do it, and it was so good. That's good. I haven't seen them since since back then. I saw them obviously at, at that Fuck Reading, and I saw them at um, I saw them above a pub in Brighton like, right after they put out Shape of Punk to Come, and it was such a bad gig because it was just a bad gig. It was just a you know, there was no PA. They were above a pub. I remember the the vocal mic just broke in the first song. So <laughs> okay. he was at the front of the crowd screaming. And they were just so it was sort of terrible, but good because of it at the same time. <laughs> it's, it's mad at the moment with all these bands that have kind of got these anniversaries coming up. And there's stuff like I've seen that um, Finch are doing a 20 year anniversary. There's you guys, Hell is for Heroes. And it's yeah. it's just insane that it's been that long. It blows my mind. I saw you guys at uni, and there was like an enemy tour that I saw you on. I think it was with Lost Profits, and I'm sure I'm sure I saw you with Idlewild as well. There was this really cool sort of UK university tour. Yeah, we did. That was on their 100 Broken Windows tour, yeah. I believe, and we supported them. That was super early on for us. Um, I remember our booking agent rad from x-ray who remains our booking agent to this day uh i remember him meeting us for the first time and he came in and went i've got you the idol world to i'm your agent all right we were like, <laughs> sold <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're gonna get on for life yeah yeah <laughs> did he come too quick though i mean is that too much of a, a a massive blow because it's like here you go here's idol world like you're gonna have to top this soon son he managed it I mean, he, he did yeah the, he got the acdc support i haven't sort of follow so yeah, and, and Green Day and a Green Day and Muse and Incubus. Yeah. So oh. yeah, he did. It's a trend that continued. When this album came out, obviously your main debut, Ideas Above Our Station. Were you really prepared to? I'm <clears throat> well, not even prepared. Were you like mentally there to know just how much it blew up? And I'm not saying you didn't work for it because a lot of people don't realise it wasn't an overnight success. You worked tirelessly with the lead up to that album. But it did blow up. I mean, the fact you were on top of the pops, the fact that it was, you know, I think in the top 20, unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. And it's a textbook album. I'm not just saying this because you're on here now. There's not a bad song on there. And as far as debut albums go, I think it's one of the best that I've ever heard. Oh, thank you very much. Um, yeah, well, yeah, at the time, uh, no. I mean, so what was the original question? Did we were we? I think I think were you were, were you actually yeah. ever? Did you did you expect it? Were you actually prepared, thinking this is this is insane? Because you're involved. Most people are watching from the outside, but you're in the middle of it, going, "Fuck, this is this is huge." Yeah, it's difficult to be able to compare that because obviously our experience is our experience. But uh, you do watch other bands do it, and then you wonder, then you sort of know it from the other perspective. But no, we absolutely weren't prepared for it. Like we were. 
we didn't expect anybody to like a band to start with. We didn't expect to get a record deal. We didn't expect to have a top 10 album. We didn't, you know, none of those things were expected and none of those things were particularly planned for because you can't really plan for things like that. We were just doing our thing. Um, we had a really strong work ethic in the band. Like, you know, we, when we were all working jobs before we signed a deal, we were still rehearsing three, four times a week. You know, it was expensive our social lives at the expense of going to university, going traveling, whatever else people of that age were doing that were your mates you know we everything that we did was geared towards being in a band so the work ethic was there but the I yeah there was no expectation that any of that was going to happen and I do feel looking back at it that at the time we were very much rabbits caught in headlights probably weren't particularly living in the moment it was probably it was overwhelming for us um and it's the kind of thing you only really appreciate when you look back at it yeah at, at, at the time when things are coming at you and then this is happening, this is happening. Oh, you've won a Parang Award. Oh, we sold 25,000 albums in the first week. Oh, whatever, all this stuff was going on. We're just like, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, like oh, this, this happens to everyone, right? You know, it's like, you don't really like, it doesn't have time to sink in. It's just like, it's just the sort of path you're on and these things keep happening. Um, it's sort of only afterwards that you look back and go, oh, actually, that was kind of nuts. Is it difficult as well? Because there was this amazing scene that came through and there was bands like Vex Red, You Guys, Ruben, uh, Cave-In, Hell is for Heroes. All these great bands came through and it just seemed like there was this movement in the UK scene. And it must be amazing to be part of it because you're still friends with most of those bands now. And the the fact you're taking Hell is for Heroes on tour and Vex Red, aren't you? I think are they opening for you? No, uh, My Vitriol. My Vitriol, sorry. My Vitriol, yes. Although Ant Forbes from Vex Red is our tour manager for the tour, so well, there you go. Be, we'll be there in 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 a capacity. <laughs> but but you know, my vitriol, Hell is for Heroes. There was this amazing movement, and it was just I've never seen anything like it since. Maybe I'm just an old man stuck in the ways, but I, I can't remember a time when there was that much excitement in the UK kind of music industry. I think, I think for that sort of music, for that genre, I think that was probably the golden days, wasn't it? Massive. Um, for, for, for British bands that were doing that sort of thing. Um, yeah. Uh, again, at the time, we were just on tour all the time. <laughs> so it was like we never sort of hung out with any of those bands. It didn't feel like a scene at the time. And then you look back at it, it's like, yeah, there were a bunch of bands doing the same thing that was you know, definitely influenced by the same thing and pushing the same direction. Um, the tour we did with Hands for Heroes, which was, which, which was right before that first album came out, right before our first album, album came out. Maybe we just put out I'll find you or something, and it got in the top forty. And that tour was with Headers for Heroes and Band from New York called Aerotype Eleven. Um, that that tour I remember felt like something really special was happening. Like that was the first time that we were touring around, and it was starting to feel exciting. Like all the venues were suddenly selling out. There was a sort of tangible buzz around the whole thing. Um, I remember at the time definitely remember feeling like oh yeah this is kind of I don't think this is normal I think this is I think this is a bit nuts (laughs) it's incredible and the fact that you guys you know had this amazing album I I know I spoke um to Colin he wasn't really proud of the top of the pop stuff he's kind of like oh we just fucking did it and it was just you know we were meant to go surfing but we went over and did it and all this you know it was like a it's a weird moment but it does kind of have this nostalgic kind of if you say to someone i've been on top of the pops that is pretty of a big deal isn't it to be honest that was the single best thing about doing it he's right we didn't want to do it particularly they 
they they tried to make us mime and we weren't going to mime because we thought we were Fugazi. So, you know, we were like, no, we're not doing that, which meant it sounded like shit because as a TV show, they, they don't really care about... Like, when you do Top of the Pops, it's all camera rehearsals and then, like, a minute to sound check. It's like the opposite of Jules Holland, where yeah. Jules Holland like, oh, do you want to play that again? Well, not that we did it, but I've worked on it with other bands. It's like... After the set, they ask you if it was good enough. You're allowed to do another take. You're allowed to make sure things sound like there's none of that on top of the pops. It's all about the cameras. They don't give a shit how it sounds, right? So, doing it not miming is a bad idea for that reason. Unless you were really big enough fan to throw your weight around, it's like it just sounded bad. Like it's it was exactly not our sort of thing to do. But the good thing about it was it's it's validating for people that are in your life that aren't into music. So like like for example. A family do you'll be like oh you're in a band are you okay tell me about it if you say you do pop top of the pops and everyone suddenly takes you seriously yeah <laughs> so i found it quite useful for, for that it's a, it's a very cool claim to fame i think it's a it's a nice one yeah. to pull out it's a good card to pull out when yeah especially at family weddings or like, you know. oh, we did top of the pops so it must be serious yeah do, do you know oasis <laughs> so it's good for those reasons but yeah i, I agree with colin i absolutely hated doing it in fact, the second time we did it, it was in the middle of a tour and we played in Truro in Cornwall, Hall for Cornwall. Um, really great show. And the next day was a day off and we planned to go surfing in St. Agnes where we had some friends and we'd been really looking forward to it. And then they were like, no, you're not doing that anymore. You're driving back to London to do Top of the Pops. We hated it. Nice. <laughs> so well, that second time, we were literally there going, oh, I'd rather be surfing. Ah, especially in St. Agnes. I mean, that's a beautiful part of the country. Yeah, it really is. Oh, man. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to feel like ungrateful about it. But, yeah, I don't. I remember it being a bit like it was some. It was just something that pop bands did. So it wasn't very cool for us. But, you know, but even to this day, it's something that's good to say that we've done. And leaving your mark on the industry at that point, did you feel pressure for doing a follow up album? Because it was such an incredible debut and you had so much kind of exposure from it and you probably weren't supporting bands anymore. You were the main act and you were starting to see venues getting bigger and like you say, selling out quicker. Yeah, there was pressure to, to write that second record. and we, we tried to alleviate that pressure by removing ourselves down to Cornwall to write it. Um, but yeah, there wasn't ever to be fresh. And when, and when you're in that cycle of being on a label, that, that, that like you're you're expected to deliver another record basically immediately um so there is a pressure to go and do it definitely uh which is i mean it just is what it is if you're in that cycle of being signed to being a band then it's just something you have to uh, accept really i was listening to an interview you did um i think it's only last week it came out on the the guy that used to work at Krang's it james i forgot his second name oh james mcmahon Yes, and yeah, yeah. Uh, I was listening to you talking about how by album four, it's not negative, but you just kind of, none of you really loved it anymore. You kind of, you weren't as proud of that album and you were kind of, you could tell that you kind of reached the end of the line. Is that definitely how you feel looking back? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's probably us making an album because we thought we should. Um, as opposed to actually having one to make. Yeah. So that's, you know, uh, um, I, I don't even think people were particularly screaming out for one by that point. But it was just like, oh, well, of course, we're going to make another record. Let's go and make one. And yeah, that that was us just basically 
forcing one out. Um, and I don't hate that record. It's got one of our best songs on it in No Way Back. I think that's a really good song and wonderful play. But um, yeah, it's it's just, I rem- and I remember the whole process of making that record. We were trying to find something that wasn't there. Uh, and you can sort of, you can't fake that really with a no. record. Bands don't realise it's very transparent if you're trying to kind of just plough along and get through it. Yeah, it's kind of like, where are the ideas? Where's the direction? Where's where's this? Where's that? You know? <laughs> but, but, on so, the yeah, pos- but you know, on a more of a positive note, um, you've released five songs so far. I feel like I've already got most of the album. It's like, oh, wow, only a couple more weeks. But yeah. with Glorious Sunset, those five songs so far genuinely sound as fresh and like the energy's back and the, the love is there again. And going yeah. on that time out, um, Colin was even saying, you know, the moment you walked into the room in the studio to start writing, every single time something magical happened. And that must have been because you'd had time to kind of reflect, go away, have other careers, get married, have kids, and then, you know, fall back in love with it. Yeah. And I think this time there was an album there to be made in us, you know, Colin had the lyrics, he had things he wanted to say, things he wanted to write about. Um, we, yeah, there, there is a freshness on this new stuff. And um, yeah, it, it's, and it was probably probably our easiest record to make, I would say, since Ideas Above Our Station. Um, just because the, the, the ideas were there, the impetus was there, the enthusiasm was there. Um, and it it also took us all by surprise a little bit um, from the first sort of tentative writing session where um, we wrote, I think, a song called Right There With You, which is on the record, which is one of the ones we haven't released yet. Um, and we, I remember us all after that session being quite surprised that we were listening to a demo of what appeared to be quite a good 100 Reasons song. Um, and... Yeah, that just carried on throughout the whole writing process. It was just in- incredibly instinctual and natural. Um, so, yeah, you can hear that on the record. And to, to be honest, it, it's, it could be the record I'm most proud of just because of that and because it's so unexpected. And I think it's going to surprise other people as well. The, w- the way Colin was talking about it, he's so proud of it. He's like, it's our best thing we've ever done. He's so excited. And it's it's incredible to see because I've been there before and seen these bands do these kind of cash grab tours and you know we're back to play this album in its entirety and you're like mm, they've got a tax bill or divorce bills because <laughs> you could tell on stage they weren't up for it but i came to see you yeah. guys when you did your reunion um with hell is for heroes i think it was a few years back maybe i don't i don't want to know is that what it was oh my god it's yeah. a long time ago <laughs> jesus uh but you guys again sold out in less than a couple of hours i think um and the shows were like you've never been away you were so hungry for it again and it was it was unbelievable so i'm so excited that you're going to be doing it all again next month yeah me too and that was you know that was we yeah we felt we had to do those shows last time just i think the impetus between behind that was like the excuse to do it was 10 years of ideas above our station which is as good an excuse as any and um you know the offer from the promoter was we'll come and do this play the album from start to finish plus highlights of the other records and we're like okay that sounds like a good idea um but i think our sort of personal 
motivation to do it, or my personal motivation to do it was that the last few tours we'd done when the band was petering out and sort of, I guess it would have been 2006, 2007, were fairly miserable, I remember at the time, sort of dwindling audiences and all the rest of it. And it very much felt like we'd gone out with a whimper. So, so the motivation for me last time was like, all right, let's do something cool so that if it if this is the last time we ever do it, the last time we ever do it is something triumphant and you know not a it, it leaves a much better uh, better taste in your mouth doesn't it to go out a, on a, a bit of a looking, high a better looking corpse yeah. <laughs> i've never heard that expression but i'm going to use that all the time now yeah. that's incredible yeah so that was it it was a motivation to leave a better looking corpse last time but then <laughs> this time around you get to do the whole set you obviously get to play all the big hits but uh, you yeah. know play these new songs which is going to sound and feel so exciting because I've been in a band, you know, to get to play new songs live is the best feeling in the world, isn't it? It, it is, yeah. And I, I remember when we were when we were writing this record, I was like, you know, I don't know if we're ever going to play any of these songs. It's like we're doing this music because we think it's great, but you know, we have to see. We're not going to. We're, we're we're never going to be in the mindset we're going to force new songs upon people. Um, but now we're writing the set and. You know, we know why people are coming to see us. And obviously the songs that people are expecting us to play, we are going to play more or less. Um, but, you know, we're now legitimately being like, OK, well, people seem to really like this stuff. So, yeah, let's play them without even feeling like we're foistering them on them on people. Without feeling like we're forcing them on people. We're like, I think people are can actually want to hear this stuff, um, which is which is a really great feeling. And one that we, I, I personally wasn't expecting to be having the conversations we're having about the set list now. What I'm really excited for as well, I've gone to the festival many years and it's probably my favourite UK festival. Just for the size of it, each year everyone just seems friendlier. 2,000 Trees, like what an incredible yeah. place. It's like a, I don't know, it's weird. You go there and you just forget any stress, any worries and everyone is lovely. But the lineup already is looking incredible. There's still two headliners to be announced, but you're right up there. You must be buzzing because everyone I speak to, Every announcement I see on Facebook, everyone is saying, fuck, 100 reasons, can't wait. And that must be like, yeah, this is going to be like a, a big, huge celebration. Yeah, that's that's going to be really special. We, we played there that year in 2012 as well. Um, and it, it was sort of the standout of the few festivals we did that year. Um, and this time we got like even like much better billing. Um, I think it's going to be a really special show for us. Um, and yeah, I love the festival as well. I was actually at the festival last year. I went there with a I saw you. Dude. You were with Will and everyone. And I yeah, saw... Yeah, yeah. Um... I, I was there with a stag dude that included Will and Joe. <laughs> I was like, I, I was going to come over and say hello to you guys, but I was like, them guys are just having way too much fun. It was about some that early got, hour in the morning. Messy. That got yeah. messy. <laughs> I saw you backstage and everyone was like, pretty pretty half cut by about 11 a.m. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'd started on a minibus at like nine in the morning. <laughs> oh, Christ. Well, don't do that this year because you've got a you've got, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you've got a whole set to play this time. So you've got yeah, to take pace I'll yourself. I'll have a whole set to play. I've also, um, I'll also have a young baby with me. <laughs> so I'll have to behave myself a bit better. Um, so it's going to be epic, yeah, isn't it? It's going to be awesome. Um, it really feels like if there was a festival that there's not a festival in the world, I don't think that more suits our band than that one. No, it's going to be unbelievable. And, you know, 
Does it feel a bit like, and I said this with full respect, that you might feel a bit rusty because it's been a while. You know, you're 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 doing um, record producing and all the studio stuff full time. Mm. It's been a while since you've been up on the stage. You know, Colin's still been doing stuff. Um, you've got people in. Is it Raging Speedhorn? You know. Yeah, the Andy's been playing. Yeah, it's been a while since I've done a show. I was actually thinking about this last night because obviously I've been rehearsing this. We're, we're getting into some fairly intensive rehearsals next week. Um, and I've just been, you know, playing the guitar parts, rebuilding a pedal board, you know, all that sort of stuff that I haven't done for years and years and years. But weirdly, I remember for the shows in 2012, I went to relearn the parts to do it. And we hadn't, we hadn't even, it hadn't been that long since we played then, maybe five or six years or something. And I remember my internal screen for the guitar parts just being totally blank at that point. It was so weird. I remember it being a real struggle to relearn the parts. And it, it took me days and days and days of playing them over and over again until then eventually the muscle memory kicked in. And then it's like, bang, I could do it all. It's really weird. <laughs> Whereas this time, even though it's been longer, it's fine. It's, it's all still there and it's all quite fresh. So I've been playing it, like, you know, and it's, it's a nice feeling. Oh, no, I can actually remember how to play this stuff. Um, but yeah, it's been a while. Gonna have to remember that I probably can't jump off the drum kit now without doing myself a mischief. You know, that's that's what I'm worried about is getting a little bit too excited and doing first song in. in, you jump off and you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I've fucking twisted my knee. <laughs> exactly, knock myself out, get dragged off. <laughs> Everyone goes home. That's my biggest fear. It's funny <laughs> as well because you've got, got these amazing people that are going to be coming to see you for nostalgia reasons. Like, I, I went to see you when I was, you know, 19, 20 at uni, and now I'm 40. And already yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm not going down the front. I'm going to stand by the sound desk. I'm going to have a pint so I can still see everything. And all, you're going to have this whole crowd of just people like, oh, yeah, I had a massive mosh pit last night. I, I kind of tapped my foot a couple of times and nodded along. You know, it's so different. Well, I'm, I was joking about this with my girlfriend last night. I was like, what's going to happen is first song, massive mosh pit. Then the second song, it's just going to stop because everyone's going <laughs> to... Everyone's pulling oh, out Gaviscon. Oh, and aged fans are going to have done themselves a mischief. <laughs> I just need a bit of a breather. I'll be backstage or back by the merch stand. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But yeah, but I'm like, but also with, with recording and, and making records also, I sort of play guitar all the time now anyway, just not live. So I, yeah. found, it, I, found, it, I found it quite easy to pick up, to pick it up this time again. And you, you were working um, with the Hellers for Heroes stuff, weren't you? I was talking to Will, and he, you, yeah. you know that, that, that sounds like they've never been away. My God, like Justin's vocals and everything—it's just you've captured the same sound as Neon Handshake. It's like this sounds beautiful. It's uh, oh, thank you very much. That was a really good session, and like that was actually that was probably the most fun I've had in the studio for a very, very long time because they're all old mates and yeah. they're all there. And that whole—I mean, I guess we we did it for like three or four days or something in the studio with me um it was just the most fun i've never laughed that much in my life in a studio session it was so good just hanging out with old mates and doing it and, that, and you can sort of hear that energy coming through the recording it did sound really fresh and um really exciting again um yeah it was fun i'm really happy with how it turned out as well and that's the perfect band isn't it to celebrate with to go out and do another tour with those guys like it just seems like a match made in heaven i want every time now i see you to have headers for heroes as well <laughs> okay maybe we'll see in another 10 years we yeah <laughs> i'll be way too old then I, i'll come for half of the set and then you, have to leave you'll be you'll be way too old yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you can have your baby to help load all the equipment in by that That's point. That's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Little tour manager. And how's all yeah. the production stuff going? Because obviously it's your full-time job. You've produced some incredible records. You're busy as hell. Do you feel like you get the good balance with life or are you always in the studio? Uh, I do. And um, I've, had a, I've had a really insane few years of producing. Have just been like project to project, really, really busy. Um, the end of last year, me and my partner moved out, moved out of London into Hertfordshire. So I've actually moved into a house and it has a recording studio next to the house. Right. Um, so that's helping with a bit of work-life balance which is i now have a 20 second commute and um and you know because before i was traveling across london from Leighton to brixton um and yeah and what with the baby on the way i think this year i'm just gonna not be that busy yeah um which is going to be good <laughs> it must be it must be a relief to just the commute itself not having to go through london i mean that must feel like a job in itself yeah, it is. It is. It was like two hours. It was two, two and a half hours out of my life every day. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm now. I'm probably, yeah, I'll be back in the studio again probably after the hundred reasons tour. After a bit of bit of paternity leave, I think. I've, I think Mar end of March. I've next got something in. So yeah, I'm taking. I'm taking this year a bit chill to be honest. Yeah, that's all <laughs> see good. We'll we'll see how long it lasts. I'm really looking forward to the album. Uh, I truly mean this. The five songs so far, some of your best ever songs, and there's such a range and such a mix. I can't wait to see them live. You know, sometimes you go to a gig and they're like, this is a new song, and you're like, oh, fucking hell, just play the singles. But I'm yeah. really excited to see how they work live. And Colin said you've got a second guitarist to kind of beef it all up. Yeah. Uh, we have the extremely talented Jack Bottomley, who plays in Marmosets. Yeah who is going to be coming on tour with us. Um, Marmosets, who I've obviously worked with loads. I did their first album and, you know, written songs with them over the years. Um, Jack's a phenomenal guitar player. Uh, he's going to be the best guitar player on that tour by some margin. What, what a band um, Marmosets are. That debut is <clears throat> fucking incredible. Yeah, it's so good, isn't it? And like, you know, he, the stuff that we're asking him to play is, literally a walking apart from him yeah <laughs> compared to compared to his day job he's already learned all of our back catalogue both guitar parts he's just like just tell me what you want me to play I'm like okay cool <laughs> oh that's exciting yeah um, so that's gonna be really good oh, i'm really happy exciting. doing it Mm. Uh, well my final question is and what i asked this to everyone that's come on the podcast and there's been 250 episodes now um i try and make it as original as i can by asking the artist or whoever's been on to choose the outro piece of music so you can have oh, any song by any band on the planet but it means something to you personally and once all this is all edited and out there for the world to listen to that final piece of music is chosen by you so i'm putting you on the spot and i think people in bands okay. find it difficult because there's like Probably a hundred you're down to now thinking now I got down to ten. But what's the first one that came to your heart and soul that has a solid reason? The first reason? one that came to my heart and soul is maybe not one you'd expect. It's a very, very slow, very quiet song, and it's by Smog. And it's called Teenage Spaceship. Smog Teenage Spaceship. Yeah. I've never heard the band <laughs> Smog, but this is always oh, good because some know... people are like, listen to the Beatles or Rolling Stones. I'm like, that's great, but I want something new. If I can discover a new band because of this outro, then that's great. Oh, get, get into Smog. 
uh, Smog is a guy called Bill Callahan who's still releasing music, but I think now he does it under Bill Callahan. But uh, when he was Smog, he put out lots of records. Um, my favourite being an album called Knock Knock, which has the song Teenage Spaceship on it. And it, that, that to me is a classic record that doesn't have a bad song on it. Oh, nice. I'm going to literally get on that straight after this and start. Definitely listen to that. <laughs> oh, you'll see me now at the gig and I'll be like, look, I got a Smog t shirt. That was the best band ever. <laughs> It'd be a made one. Yeah. Larry, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You know, I'm a massive fan of your work and I can't wait to see the shows with Hell is for Heroes. I can't wait to be at 2000 Trees. That's going to be literally the event of the summer. And I'm just really, really excited the fact that there's going to be new music and still more news, new music that I haven't heard yet. And everyone's loving it. The feedback I see online, everyone is just so excited. And it's great to see you guys just having fun again. Yeah, it does. It does feel really good. And yeah, we get that excitement. I love the reaction. It's kind of like people just surprised that they're listening to New 100 Reasons music in 2023. And I think they're also surprised that they're enjoying it um which which is a which is the best possible reaction i thought i had a time machine because i literally woke up and i was like excited by the new cave in album you'd released a single headers for heroes were teasing a single and i was yeah. like is this 2003 like what the fuck is going on this is <laughs> this is crazy yeah it's awesome <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show dude uh it's an absolute pleasure i really appreciate your time as well and uh i will see you in birmingham for a beer and yeah. um, I, I can't wait for those shows. They're going to be epic. Yeah, me too. So there it is. There's my interview with me and Larry Hibbert. What an amazing guy. Like I said at the start, I'm so, so grateful that I've got him on the podcast. 100 Reasons are one of my favourite bands of all time. I can't wait to go and see them with Hell is for Heroes in only a week's time. I'm so excited. And to know that my vitriol are supporting, my God, that's a dream lineup. Also, as you're listening to this right now, 100 Reasons will be going on tour. They're probably playing over the next few nights somewhere near you. Please go and check it out. They're absolutely phenomenal. Go and listen to all their new music. And their brand new album, Glorious Sunset, is out as you're probably listening to this. Or it'll be just a couple of days' time, depending on when you listen. Please go and check it out. Listen to it. Stream it. Buy it, do whatever you can to support this band because the album is absolutely awesome. They've put everything into it and you can hear on this album that the time they've decided to take away from 100 Reasons, take some big time out and now return has done them wonders. It sounds so good. The songwriting is the best they've done. Colin sounds epic. The production is amazing and it's easily one of the albums of the year. So please, if you go and check it out, let me know what you think and I'll be absolutely blown away if you love it as much as me. If you've enjoyed today's episode, all I ask you guys at home to do is to share it. If you're on Facebook, hit that share button. If you're on Twitter, hit the retweet button. And if you're on Instagram, hit that little heart and just like it. Because honestly, it goes a long way, helps me get seen by more people. And then hopefully, who knows, someone might see that little image of the 100 Reasons Mark and Me episode, think, ah. Oh, Fucking hell, I used to love that band. And then they listen to my episodes and then suddenly become a fan of life for Mark and me. And that's a dream come true and costs you guys nothing at all to do. So please, all the links are on markandme.com and it goes a real long way. 
Also, if you really enjoyed today's episode, please support me on Patreon. The links are all on markandme.com and for as little as £1 a month, you're going to get exclusive episodes just for you guys at home called The Lost Tapes. You get badges, stickers, exclusive newsletters that are coming soon and so much more. And all the money that you put into that via Patreon goes right back into the podcast and allows me to go out there and record more interviews, which means more podcasts for you guys at home. I can't do the podcast without your support, so if you're listening today and just want to throw me a couple of pounds, it really, really goes a long way. I'll be back in only a few days' time with another brand new episode, so until then, look after yourself, listen to the new 100 Reasons album, go and see them on tour, take care, and I'll see you all very soon. Small 